Hello, and welcome to this episode of our Tilney Investment Podcast on Wednesday, 29 July 2020. I'm Harry Morgan, a Director of Investment Management in Tilney's Edinburgh office, and I'll be talking today with Ben Seeger-Scott, our Head of Multi-Asset Funds. Today, we'll look at what's been happening in the markets and at some of the current investment themes, and we are hosting this podcast from our homes. Before we begin, though, here is some important information. Nothing in this recording is intended to constitute advice or recommendation, and you should not take any investment decision based on its content. Any opinions expressed may be subject to change without notice. Remember that the value of investments can fall as well as rise, and that you may not get back the amount you originally invested. Past performance should not be considered a reliable indicator of future returns. Different funds carry varying levels of risk depending on the geographical region and industry sector in which they invest. You should make yourself aware of these specific risks prior to investing. If you are unsure about the suitability of an investment, or if you need advice on your specific requirements, you should seek professional financial advice. So Ben, what's been happening in the markets over the summer, and has the rally continued? Well, thank you, Harry. Um, Yeah, I I think to a greater or lesser extent, the the rally continues. What we've seen certainly uh, over the last month is, well, normally we say risk assets moving higher, but actually it's it's been most asset classes. It's been uh, pretty positive across the board. Um, Just looking at what's happened uh, in July, um, global equities have drifted higher, up around 3.5% at the time of recording, whilst the UK has been a relative laggard still, uh, essentially flat uh, on the month. And, and part of that is, is down to some of the, the, the economic conditions and this whole um, economic cyclical uh, situation that, that we, we've talked about before and, and maybe we'll touch on later. Uh, but equities have done well. Bonds have done well, uh, too. If you look at core uh, government bonds, core sovereigns, your traditional risk off assets, those have done well, too. Their, their prices have risen. We often talk in terms of yield. Falling yields translates to, to higher prices um, and, and the benchmark. So 10 year UK government bonds, actually their yield has, has around, around halved. It was 0.2%. Now it's around uh, 0.1% or 10 basis points uh, over the month. Same with in the US, uh, down 10 basis points, last seen at 0.58. So, so very tight yields there. And the other thing we've seen is, is the US dollar has continued to weaken. Uh, really throughout throughout the month. And that has helped, but it's not the sole, sole cause of gold surging. Gold has been the real story of this month. Uh, gold has been on an absolute tear. It's now above $1,950 to the ounce. So it's broken through the 1900 mark and is heading uh, pretty quickly towards $2,000 uh, an ounce. And that is a 10% move just in July. Uh, and really that accelerated that surge we saw from around about the 20th. And it's interesting to see all these different asset classes doing well at the same time. Um, Often that is down to to monetary stimulus, uh, a a core driver. When you have all of this money flooding into the financial system, you can often see it having these characteristics where all of that money lifts the value of of assets across the board. And does that partly explain why gold has been so strong, perhaps a a mistrust of all this money flowing in? Um, I I think that there can be an element of that. I think it, it's very interesting. Um, gold is, is difficult to, to value in a fundamental way. Uh, you know, it's always been a challenge. It's not like you can look at a fundamental economy or something like earnings. There's no uh, fundamental driver. 
But the, the characteristics of gold uh, are such that because it is a finite supply, um, it's often used as a pseudo currency. It's part of the reason mm. historically, um, you know, if you go back several decades uh, to 100 years or so ago, uh, a lot of currencies were, were linked to, to gold. They tied to the gold standard that meant they converted one into the other. And that was to prevent central banks doing what they're doing now, which is printing money uh, effectively out of control. Now, printing money is a, is a useful mechanism. You can use it to try and fix uh, certain challenges in your economy. Um, but I think it also worries people because if you just have printing presses running, if you have a huge supply of something, it tends to push down its value. And when you have all of these different currencies potentially being debased, I think then investors do look for a potential store of wealth. And gold really fits that bill. Uh, and I think almost one way of looking at it is potentially less a case that the price of gold is going up a huge amount. It may be more the case that the expected value of currencies is going to fall. And as all the different currencies fall together, that manifests as gold doing very well. But it's certainly an interesting case. So it's been a reasonable time for the market some over the summer. What are the uh, what are the politicians up to, Ben? You were interested in the the, the UK summer budget, I think. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I think. We've been talking in anticipation for, for a few months now about what's going to happen with fiscal policy. And we got the first sort of indication of that at the start of the month with the, the summer economic update from, from the Chancellor of the Exchequer. And it's really interesting. We are now really totally seeing this shift from what was effectively fiscal policy as replacing, uh, replacing the, the private economy that was suspended by government mandates. Um, you know, that money isn't really being productive. It's just there as a replacement. Now that substitution is turning to stimulus. We're seeing measures designed to kickstart growth on the other side. So looking at the measures, the UK is a useful representation of what is starting to happen and will continue happening globally. But, you know, we saw these rewards for rehiring workers. We saw VAT cuts, which are there to sort of encourage consumption. Stamp duty holiday, that it really talks to, to wealth effects. So, uh, if you have a, a more dynamic housing market, that can push house prices up, that can make people feel richer. And when they feel richer, the wealth effect means they often tend to, to go out uh, and spend a little bit more. But for me, I think one of the most interesting aspects was actually the Eat Out to Help Out scheme, this uh, government-sponsored process where the government will basically for Monday to Wednesdays in August, it will pay for half your meal uh, up to the value of uh, of £10 discount, so £20 uh, being your sweet spot if you want to maximise uh, that, that benefit. And that's interesting, not because of the scale itself. I don't think it's going to make a huge impact overall uh, in terms of the economy. But I think the theme and the signalling is really interesting. And as we move to this stimulus phase, we've, we've already seen other countries, the US, for example, and Hong Kong, they have opted to just do direct transfers to individuals. So giving hundreds or a thousand uh, pounds or equivalent to their citizens. And the idea there is they go out into the economy uh, and spend it. Um, the, the challenge with doing those sort of approaches, though, is many people, particularly those that might be worried about the, the economic outlook, worried about their, their livelihoods. If you give them that money as, as the government, they're likely to, to save it rather than spend it. Now, that's totally yeah. rational. That that makes sense. But saving doesn't really help kickstart economies, spending does. So it's very interesting to see this theme where the government is trying to introduce the, these direct measures 
but to boost consumption. So I think we'll probably see more of these schemes, these discount schemes, maybe some element of time limited money or something akin to vouchers as the government tries to really boost consumption directly, but find a way around this, this risk that people just end up saving it, finding ways to get them to spend it. So I thought for me, that was the most interesting just in terms of the signalling approach. And Ito, to help out, Ben, what are you going to do to help the economy prosper in the weeks ahead under this scheme then? Any personal plans? Uh, well, I'm absolutely going to be going to, to Nando's fairly frequently. I'm lucky that my birthday falls on a Tuesday in August. So I Excellent. think lunch lunch and dinner and maybe a starter, main and dessert in uh, three different locations. Who knows? Okay. And back to, to matters more market-based, I was interested in your comment about the very tight yields and government bonds. They are extraordinarily low in the UK. Can you, can you explain to the listeners why that is? Well, it, there are many different drivers pushing rates lower. Now, on the one hand, there will be safe haven flows when people are uncertain. People tend to buy treasuries or government bonds uh, as a safe haven asset. And in bulk, at scale, um, it it is often considered in some regards safer than cash. Cash can be stolen if you have, as a private investor, if you own you know, a bank more than is, is covered by, uh, by the compensation levies, those are sort of an element of, of being at risk. And for corporations, it's there for, for safety. So you tend to see that uh, in corporations and at scale. But the other element is around central banks, uh, and they've set interest rates very low. Partly that's to stimulate the, the economy in and of itself. It makes it easier, cheaper to borrow, um, and it makes it less attractive to save. But the extraordinary monetary policies we're seeing at the moment, where central banks are actively buying bonds, that is help, helping to suppress those yields, keeping them low. That keeps borrowing costs low for, for areas such as corporations. Um, interestingly, though, when you have central banks having low interest rates and then buying more government bonds, that helps to keep the government's borrowing costs low. And in that regard, you know, the activity of central bank is moving from pure monetary policy into what is quasi-fiscal policy, making it easier to borrow at, at these low rates. OK, thank you for that. And if you look back on the first half of the year and a bit beyond, where have been the, the, the best areas for investors to, to be committing their capital in hindsight? And where do you think is looking in, of interest for the, the, the months ahead? Um, I, I, th I think the first half of the year was very interesting if you no one had a crystal ball at the start of the year uh, of course i think what we have seen though equities have fared uh, reasonably well from the the, the, the epicenter of, of the crisis in financial markets which was mid-march when there was huge uncertainty and we saw these very sharp falls in markets and there equities have rallied very very aggressively so anyone mm. topping up equities at that point um, yeah. has done very well Anyone holding their equities has actually had a pretty reasonable ride as long as they've come through. I think the people that have suffered most, and you know, it's, it's something that we've been uh, advocating against, but a lot of people hit, had that fear in the depths of the crisis. And, and unfortunately, behavioural uh, economics drives a lot of people when they see these falls to over-extrapolate and pull their money out at the worst possible time. But equities have recovered nicely. Um, and actually, gold... Uh, has, has done really well. We, we ourselves topped that up uh, in, mm. in the middle of March. Uh, gold has done phenomenally well uh, year to date. I, I think it's up 20-25% so far this year. Uh, corporate, uh, corporate bonds have done well post-crisis 
uh, as well. And if you look in a bit more detail within that, uh, the areas that have done well, in particular looking at equities, it has been some of the more secular growth areas, particularly US tech, has done very yeah. well. What we haven't yet seen um, is, is some of the more value-led names, the traditional recovery and cyclical stocks um, doing, do, doing as well. But, you know, the second half of your question was on the future. Uh, and there it really is looking forward and saying the areas we think will do well, uh, equities, we think, particularly at some point, and it is going to be a bumpy road, that there's no two ways about that. And we do expect pullbacks. But I think now we're seeing that the economic and business cycle really turn. We had the complete business cycle from the global financial crisis up until the end of last year, exacerbated at the start of this year. But on a medium to long term basis, I really do think some of those more cyclical areas, the areas that haven't yet caught up, do do look compelling. Uh, and I think the other area that, that is going to be increasingly of interest is uh, is any asset that can do well in an inflationary environment. That's equities. That's also areas such as uh, index linked bonds, uh, potentially mm. even gold. And I think that's what's going to be most interesting for me uh, in terms of the outlook from here on out, just looking at inflation dynamics. Inflation is not something we've really had to deal with for the last few years, and people have sort of almost written it off. Um, but it is a, an important economic and financial concept to consider. And all of the, the, the points we actually covered on the last podcast, but all of those points around inflation are starting to, to really come through. And I think it's a really important area to watch. There's lots of um, more positive news, but there's also lots of things to worry about. And one of the uh, themes on our Monday morning call was this uh, battle between fear and optimism and the chance of a breakout one way or the other. Do you think there's a chance of another lurch down and equally of a, a major move forward over the months ahead? Oh, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, as you were referencing there internally, just to get everyone up to speed, obviously we have these all office updates where we get to, to discuss our investment views. Um, and it is something we've, we've it's a, an element we've highlighted on, on this podcast before. But over the last couple of months, we have seen this, this plateauing um, as, as we've had a very sharp, uh, and to be honest, an ex, extremely fast recovery uh, for, from the depths of the, the crisis from a financial point of view in March. And now we have lots of different competing factors, and it's difficult to know which one will win out. It is uh, it's very difficult to actually forecast these short-term moves. So we tend to take a balance between the two and just shift that balance based on the areas that we think we think will win out. Um, but just to give you some idea of, of, of the twos and fros. And again, we're not sure which side will win out. We think, think through the cycle, it, it, it's mm -hmm. manageable. On the one hand, you know, from economics, you've got uh, the fundamentals versus the stimulus. Uh, and I think some of this, this falls into, to use... So some of the language, uh, known knowns and known unknowns. Um, in terms of the known knowns, we have all of this fiscal stimulus coming through, um, huge amounts of government aid uh, and activity being pumped into the system. But against that, and it's something that governments know, they're not doing it just for the sake of it. They know as they allow a lot of these um, support measures, so furlough schemes, business continuity loans, those were never designed to save all companies, uh, and those are now starting to run off. And I think the government, governments globally are going to take a concerted effort. You can't allow mass unemployment and, and business failures in, in the heights of the crisis to so stave those off. But as they look to stimulate the economy, 
I think we will start to see um, significant waves of unemployment coming through. We're already starting to see a few of those and business failures. So I think one of those, one of those, those fulcrum points uh, is which is going to win out between this deteriorating short-term economic fundamentals, business failures and unemployment versus the positive effect of central banks, sorry, uh, governments saying here is more fiscal stimulus. And it's difficult to know which of those two uh, will win out. And then on the other side, you know, you have fundamentals in terms of earnings now look pretty fragile. A lot of that is in the price of assets and has probably to some extent moved slightly beyond where fundamentals are. Earnings growth is likely to remain subdued uh, yeah. for the foreseeable future. But against that, as we said at the top, you have central banks pumping in huge amounts of money through very aggressive monetary stimulus. And that is driving markets higher. We also have FOMO, the, the, the fear of missing out. We've seen a lot of investors in, in the depth of the crisis move to cash. And when we look in aggregate, there are lots of, of reports that we can see about aggregate historical investor and um, market participant behavior. We know there's still a lot of cash sat on the sidelines, ready to come back into the market. So any potential pullback could be seen as an opportunity for those that missed out before uh, to, to, to move back in. But what that leads us to is this, this dichotomy that you always have in markets. I think it's one of the elements that makes investing so difficult. You know, that there is that this fundamental uh, balance between fundamentals and momentum. And momentum, it's a very well-known phenomenon, but as, as markets or even individual shares moves higher, people see it. Shares that have done well recently tend to do well in the near term. And it's a natural behavioural aspect that I think we'll recognise. You see a hot stock, you see a hot asset class. People see it's got momentum. They know momentum persists for a while. And so people buy those, those asset classes that have done well. But the more and more an asset goes up, the less fundamentally attractive it looks. If you look at a price-to-earnings ratio, if earnings stay steady, momentum can move the price further and further away from its perceived sure. fair value based on fundamentals. And inevitably, at some point, fundamentals tend to reassert themselves. So I think that's another balance between these momentum trades that we're seeing a lot of at the moment that is pushing in some regard some of those uh, hot stocks and hot uh, sectors ever higher, at some point that is likely to rebalance and some of those uh, less loved and cheaper stocks I think will, will likely start doing well. But it is, it is all about the, this, this series of, of mini cycles within the broader cycle that, that is difficult. But you know, we, we try to take a blended approach okay. and get the balance between those two uh, as close to optimum as we can. Let's just look internationally for a second. Clearly, in the background, there is the, the COVID-19 virus. But a couple of um, big events or big um, uh, changes recently. Could you comment just briefly, Ben, on this EU recovery fund? Is that good news or bad news? And also maybe uh, the US-China continued uh, tension, how that's affecting markets. So Europe and US versus China. Yeah, I think Europe is, particularly the recovery fund, is another example of Europe doing what it does best, which is kicking the can down the road uh, and compromising. Um, I, so so the, this recovery fund is uh, around 750 billion euros um, and just now under, just under half of it is composed of, of grants. So not repayable, 
and the other half is made up of low-cost uh, loans. Um, it is much-needed fiscal stimulus. It, in and of itself, is probably not enough to, to fix the, the woes for, from this crisis in Europe. But that, coupled with some of the uh, some of the fiscal stimulus that the individual countries have done, is is a step in the right direction, and it shall uh, and it will probably help. Um, but I, I think it also talks some of the, the broader issues within Europe. A lot of it is political. There are various um, various caveats and mechanisms attached to, to the loan fund designed to achieve political aims, particularly if countries are seen to not be enacting economic reform or not following uh, appropriate policies. So it's partly a political tool um, as well. I think the US and China is going to be a big theme for the second half of this year, though particularly because we have a presidential election and we're seeing it really as, as a growing campaign issue. Um, we've seen over the last couple of years just how much damage a trade war between the world's two largest economies can be. And I think it's also interesting, just tying in with the previous point, the value versus growth argument, mm -hmm. how well US tech is doing compared to some of the more cyclically sensitive areas. One aspect we have seen with the US and China uh, is tech tends to be a very sensitive subject. So any ratcheting up of that tension could well impact tech stocks. And we've seen some of that coming through incidentally with the likes of Huawei. Uh, and I, I think that the next the next target that we might start seeing news on is is the, the platform TikTok. Um, so TikTok owned by ByteDance. Um, there's some talk of that getting it's been banned in India. Um, it might get banned in uh, in the US and maybe other parts of the world as well. Okay, Ben, thank you. And as people are starting to think about heading off for their holidays, possibly staying in the UK, um, any any thoughts uh, on how they should be thinking about their portfolios over the next few weeks and months? Interest rates are going to stay really low, so cash is a hopeless investment. So what do people do with their money? Well, we, we continue to be in that awkward environment where there there are very few asset classes, even cash, that you can hold and have a reasonable chance of making a positive real return over the long term, that is, after the effects of inflation. Mm -hmm. um, I think the, tr the, the, the point at the moment is to stay invested. Um, I wouldn't be trying to try and time things too aggressively. At, and as we said, there, there could be a breakout up or down. It's difficult to know in which direction that will go. But there is a risk um, or, you know, that there is a challenge more accurately, to your investment strategy of being out, out of the market. What I do think we could see ha happening, if we do have any um, pullbacks in the market, that could be for the economic reasons we highlighted earlier, or it could be uh, down, to, um, down to elements around uh, the COVID-19 virus, whether we see secondary waves uh, and impacts. But what we have seen is we've seen there's cash on the sidelines. Mm. Central banks have been signalling they are very ready to inject more money if it's needed on weakness. So I think it's a case of stay the course, look to the long term, look to those areas that you think can still generate value over that long term time frame. Um, and if you do see any periods of short term weakness, I would take that. And certainly the investment strategies that I look at, I would look at those as opportunities to top up rather than uh, rather than exit. That's great, Ben. That's really good. An optimistic, optimistic message. Thank you for that. And thank you for all your really interesting comments uh, under the Q&A. So we'll be back soon with a new episode. If you have any feedback or questions on this episode, please send us an email at podcast at tilney.co.uk. 
and thank you for listening.